Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sachs's Essay Today podcast. My name is Michelle Botcher, and I'm an associate professor at Clemson University. I'm also your host for this program. Today, I am pleased to have Dr. Jesse Ford, assistant professor at the University of North Carolina, Greensboro, as our guest. Jesse, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Michelle, thank you for having me. So excited to be in space and be in community. I appreciate that. This will be fun. So before we get going and into your work and career, can you tell listeners a little bit about who you are outside of work, outside of work as a human being? So what are hobbies, things you're reading, watching, listening to? What would you like listeners to know about you? It's a great question. I have been trying to reestablish a relationship with the word rest. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, many people probably don't know this, but I grew up on a farm. And so my father was a farmer um, and that's what he did my entire childhood. And so what I've started doing this summer and I did a little bit last summer is I've gotten reintroduced to the idea of gardening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I planted this year, 30 blueberry trees. I have corn, kale, cucumbers, squash, tomatoes, um, grapes, strawberries, um, I tried a banana tree, but that isn't going well. I will be very honest and say that that maybe it's the North Carolina clay and the soil. Um, but I've, re- I've been really, really, really getting behind this idea of planting and growing food. Um, I don't know what struck that in me over the past summer, but when I started it last summer, I had a much smaller, smaller space in the backyard. This year, I probably have a substantial amount of our backyard dedicated to, to gardening, which has been fun. Um, I start in the mornings around 7 a.m. I go out there just to make sure everything's good. Um, some days are longer than others, but it it's almost refreshing to do something different. Um, and so it's been good to just reconnect with nature. Um, things I'm watching on TV. Right now, pretty much anything on Netflix um, that has some type of mystery or some horror type thing happening. Um, a lot of the the newer shows where it's like the eight, series eight episode series and we're done those have been great and I think the last part was what am I listening to right now so I'm actually engaged heavily with um Cameron Beatty and Shauna Patters Stephens um podcast on um they call it scholar tea but it's it's kind of it's fun but it's current events in higher education that's been kind of keeping me uh kind of glued to my podcast a little bit more than normal um, I'm a lover of 90s R&B, too, so I, I do that as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Um, we have a pomegranate tree. We got one pomegranate off it for the first time last year, and there are dozens of blooms on it this year. So I know that sort of engaging with nature, you know, and and the reward that can come from that. So good luck with everything that you've got going on. So. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey into, through, and continuing to engage with higher education? Absolutely. Um, I guess my journey starts like most traditional higher ed folks that kind of get into the field or stumble into it, I think, happens more frequently than not. I was an undergraduate student at Coastal Carolina University. I spent four years there studying history. Um, but primarily just getting involved in campus life. And so I did everything from Greek life to um, student activities and heavily involved within the multicultural space. 
I was getting ready to graduate. I'll never forget. Um, and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Um, history degrees are, are cool because you get to study something you love, but you don't necessarily have a career unless you're thinking about teaching or law. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't necessarily want to do any, either one of those things. And even in that moment, sitting and saying that I didn't want to be a teacher is quite ironic today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I sat down with my Greek coordinator and um, my director of multicultural affairs, and they said, you should think about student affairs. And so I went to the University of South Carolina, uh, spent two years there as a graduate student in multicultural affairs there, had a great experience. And somehow I let a lady by the name of Dr. Renee Callen now talk me into moving to Miami. And I spent four years there as her assistant director of multicultural student affairs. And I loved every second of it, Um, being able to program and coordinate events for different identities and subpopulations within higher ed was amazing. Then someone had the great idea that I should pursue a doctorate. Notice in the story, I don't actually choose either one of these degrees for myself. Um, And so my then assistant vice provost was like, you should go and get a doctorate. And so I ended up at Florida State, spent four years there teaching, um, researching, and just going through the doctoral process under Tamara Bertrand Jones. Um, Graduated there in 2020. And ended up in Greenville, Green, Greensboro, excuse me, um, North Carolina, where I am currently as an assistant professor of higher education. So my journey, I guess, largely in part when I think about it, has been um, folks just looking out, telling me what I should be thinking about, what I should be doing. And subsequently, the path has just kind of been, I don't want to say outlined, but I've been guided by mentors to kind of pursue different avenues within, within our field. Um, and as of today, where that leads, I don't know. I'm still having fun. So who knows? It's great. Well, and I love, you mentioned some of those guiding people along the way. One of the things that I love to hear from guests on, on the podcast is who, who are those people? And so if you want to reinforce some of the people you've already talked about or introduce some new ones. We just always say this is such a small field. Mm -hmm. And when we start talking about here are the people who influenced me, it becomes even a a more tightly knit community, I think, in some ways. So who have been some of those key influences for you? Wow, this is a loaded question because I feel like there's so many people that I'm going to lead them out along the way. I think first, outside of my undergraduate experience, um, I guess my first major, major push as a budding scholar or someone that enjoyed graduate school was um, Jenny Bloom. She was faculty at South Carolina while I was there um, and currently is a faculty member at Florida Atlantic University. Um, Jenny really introduced me into one of the one of my arms of research, appreciative education, appreciative advising. Um, But she was really just a great support and advocate for me as I was trying to navigate higher ed. Um, I entered higher ed trying to figure out even if I wanted to do it. I just knew I didn't know what to do. Um, And so her guidance really pushed me to think about higher ed as a career um, and something that I could do long term. I mentioned Renee, Renee Callen. She is currently at the University of Miami as the, I'm going to ruin her title. (laughs) Um, Renee Town, I think, is a, she's either associate vice president of student life, if I'm not mistaken at this point. Um, But Renee was my first supervisor. 
Um, and in her work, she really pushed this concept of doing excellent work, um, whether that was providing resources for students, whether that was programming, whether that was working to build relationships with students. She showed me that everything should be done with a level of care um, and pushing towards excellence. The third one that I'll, I'll mention here, um, Tamara Bertrand Jones, uh, my dissertation chair, mentor, friend, supervisor, all the things kind of rolled up in my doctoral journey. Um, she always asked me critical questions that came with levels of support. Um, what do you want your life to be like? What kind of life do you want to live? So it was much more than an academic relationship, but it was more so a, I need you to think about not only the mechanics of how to be a faculty member, but I also need you to think about the mechanics of life. Mm -hmm. And so if I had to shout out three, Jenny Bloom, Renee Callen, Tamara Bertrand Jones, um, collectively did at various points pour into my career and still do to this day. And so um, mentor, supervisor, colleagues that have remained constant in my, my journey. Oh, that's great. Well, I appreciate you setting the stage and, you know, getting us, letting us get to know you a little bit. When you think about, so you're currently a faculty member, let's start with teaching. So what's your philosophy of teaching in your faculty role? So this question um, is an interesting one, right? I think as faculty members, we're often trying to figure out how do we best do our work? No one ever tells you that being a faculty member comes with so many ebbs and flows. I think as a student, you are presenting the syllabus, you meet a professor, and they kind of introduce you to the topic and you go throughout the entire semester. Um, as a faculty member, I find, I think probably the biggest part of this for me is self, this biggest part of this for me is self-reflection. There's always a, a need to rethink or figure out how I'm either engaging not engaging or critically responding to students' needs, wants, um, and passions. And so I think that's the first part. So um, always remaining in a place of self-reflection about the work um, in conjunction with that understanding student identities, mm -hmm. um, understanding who our students are, where they're coming from, how they're engaging in the classroom. More recently, I've started going to student programming on campus, which was something that I started last year, but really just to kind of see how higher ed students, our students are engaging in their work. And so I'm sitting at a program in the back just watching, but it allows me to see how they're either moving or thinking about a particular problem or a situation as their program is evolving. And when you see those types of things, you can bring that into the classroom. And so I say the identities with seeing them work almost humanizes the process. Um, and so I think I try to center and anchor self-reflection with humanizing teaching practices. And when I say humanizing, I mean holistically seeing the students. So as an employee of the institution or wherever they're working, their identities, their social context, um, their mind when they're in the classroom, the heart and the passion that they show to our students. I think it's that holistic approach of seeing them, if that makes sense. Well, and it makes sense in the context of how you describe the people who have been sort of those key supporters. There was a theme of care through your comments about each of them. And it sounds like you carry that over into the classroom and extend that to your students as well. Yes, that, that is actually 
the best way to describe it. I don't know if I've ever put that together that way before. Um, but I guess I'm just modeling what was showed to me throughout yeah, yeah. throughout the process. I love that. Well, what about your research? Um, what are the areas that you're curious about that inspire you to do the work? What What's that look like for you? You know, it, it's interesting. This is going to sound like a, re- a repeat in some ways of the first two answers, because a lot of my research stems from the relationships that I've formed with the three of them, but in different contexts. And so um, academic advising has become a, I guess, an anchor of my work, um, more so now as I'm heavily involved with some of the work that Jenny is doing um, with her Office of Appreciative Education. And so an anchor of my work is really focused on academic advising. And I think at this stage where the Chronicle is seem, seemingly pulling out more about how advising work is done, it's been interesting to ask critical questions about how students of color are engaging or understanding advising. Mm-hmm. Or am, am I having good relationships with advisors? Is that 15 minute appointment where I don't have a connection? Um, and so a lot of the questions that I'm asking around advising are, how are we doing it? And if we're even doing it well, um, I guess the second arm or anchor of my work, largely in part comes from Tamara Bertrand Jones, um, her work on socialization graduate students um, and how they're able to make meaning of campus life, campus involvement, but also the research process is another arm of my work. And so she looks specifically at Black women and there's some intersections of other identities as well. And I've kind of taken that and borrowed some of her concepts and I look at it in the context of Black men. And so how are Black men understanding the academy? What does that socialization look like? What is it like for early career faculty as they move from graduate school um, into the faculty world? And the third, I guess, part or hub of my work looks at leadership education. Um, This also came in a lot of ways out of the work that I was doing at the University of Miami under Renee, but at the same time, some of the influence of Dr. Kathy Guthrie and Cameron Beatty at Florida State that took time to kind of, I guess, introduce me to leadership education. And then after that, subsequently um, helped me cultivate and answer my own questions. And so how are students understanding this concept of leadership? What does that mean? How are we engaging them? And what does that look like in the greater context of them leaving our campus communities? And all of my work, by and large, looks at students of color, um, racialized identities, and how they make meaning of themselves as holistic people. How are we humanizing these practices of advising leadership and then socialization to make them be seen in the broader landscape as holistic individuals that are learning, growing, um, and developing in different spaces? You good? All right. Well, so, so time is this thing, right? And as you are thinking about projects and the opportunities that are out there, how do you decide which, which of those opportunities you're going to take advantage of? How do you decide to say no to certain things or what's your strategy for that? Um, How do you make it manageable? Carefully. <laughs> uh, no, this is, this question is one I think I wrestle with every day. Um, to be honest with you, I I think when I entered the when I entered my the professoriate as a as a faculty member, we were in the middle of COVID, and so it was kind of like you taught online, you did work online, and it was also seamless. And so in the beginning, I was yes, 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 yes to everything 
Um, I said no to nothing. And now about to start year four of being a faculty member, I'm still struggling with the no. Um, but I have to ask myself two larger questions before I even engage with anything. Um, what students will this help or how will this support students? And I think the second part of that is, do I have the capacity to make this work and do it well? Mm -hmm. um, and with those two questions, I typically determine whether I'm going to do it or, or I'm go not going to do it. I know there are different philosophies on how folks approve or think about the things that they want to do, but typically those are the two things that that guide my practice. Will it support or help students and can I do it? Um, in a lot of cases, it's typically yes to the first one, two, let me figure out how I can make this work. And so that has often been my compass in this work. I can't say that I do it well, I probably don't do it well, but then I would make the argument of what faculty truly, truly balances all the pieces well. I think this work and this life leads with so many questions that need to be answered, so many different things I think we just all naturally want to do as researchers that, whether it's building a program, building an initiative, going to a student program, having a conversation with students after class when it's 10 o'clock at night, you just get wrapped up into it. And I think that's the beauty of it, but at the same time, balancing it all becomes becomes challenging. And as a, I say I'm still an early career faculty member. I haven't quite figured it out. I'm trying, uh, but I haven't figured it out. Well, I think even starting with those two screening questions, I, I don't know that most of us do that. You know, it's more, do I want to and can I make time for it instead of being more intentional about what is this in service to? So I love the idea of, okay, before you do anything else, check these two boxes and see, and then you can decide. So I love that. Um, well, speaking of saying yes and no, what other activities are you involved in? Um, and these, these could be work, but they might be work adjacent, um, whether it's on your campus or through professional organizations? What what is some of your other activities look like? Great question. Um, so I guess my next biggest time commitment is I currently serve as a faculty in residence um, at UNC Greensboro. So I live in space with students, have conversations with students, and it has allowed me to develop relationships with undergraduate students, which is something that I miss from my practitioner days. And so it gives me that arm or that connection back to many of those students, whether that's just walking through the hallways. Um, right before we actually closed out the semester, we had some students burn some popcorn in the, the lobby area. And so walking out and having a conversation with them just about, I didn't know it was in here this long and the button says popcorn, but it doesn't actually time that way, uh, which are really small conversations, but that feeds me in a way that I didn't know that I was missing. Um, when I first started my faculty role. And so I'm still able to connect with them and that's been great. Um, I'm currently a section editor for the Journal of Appreciative Education. So going back to that advising work, um, which has been really cool. It's been really interesting to work with graduate students that are trying to engage with writing or want to do writing and then having a safe space where they can do that. And that's been phenomenal. In addition to that, I also serve as a faculty with their Appreciative Advising Institute, which is a week-long program for advisors where we talk about how do you do and think about humanizing the concept of advising in appreciative ways. 
Um, I do some editorial work on editorial boards. I just ended a two-year term with AERA as a section editor, not a section editor, a section reviewer chair um, for the conference, which was cool. I also spent a lot of time writing with students, which has been fun. It has eaten up my summer. Um, and so when you think about time management and going back to that concept of how do you balance it all, um, I spent a lot of time in Zoom meetings with graduate students talking about writing, about research, which is actually something I enjoy and love in a way that I don't know if I initially thought I would. And so um, being able to be in spaces where I'm just with students in most of these Pretty much all of these, now that I think about it, service opportunities really connect me with early career faculty or graduate students. And I love that part of this work. I'm always jotting notes, you know, when I when I do these. So, um, but I love that. And I love getting the energy, whether it's from the undergraduate students who are burning the popcorn or you know, doing the writing and engaging with graduate students. I love that that's sort of a, a source of fuel for you. So, um, well, what about like current projects you're working on? Is there anything that you want to speak about a little bit that is really exciting for you? I have something that is about to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, we've been having conversations here at UNCG about programming that we can do for men of color. Um, undergraduates and graduate students alike. And so while I don't have all the specifics of what that will look like, I know that in the next couple of months, I'll be engaging in some work um, specifically with our men of color population at the institution, but really trying to figure out how we can support them, whether that is in an advising setting, whether that is in the classroom setting, but trying to figure out some new practices to, to best support and anchor their experiences here. And I think the other piece of that that makes it cool and unique is it provides an avenue to think about research differently, um, which is something that I'm ready to engage in differently. I think I, I like what I'm doing and I love the way I'm able to move and I like the pace in which I'm able to do it. But I think there's something to be said about being the practitioner or having that space with those students and then formulating new writing and research projects around it. And so I'm excited to create whatever this is going to be. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but at the same time, see students in action in their element and then engage them in some type of research component as it relates to cultivating spaces for, for men of color populations. And so I don't have a title, I don't have a name, but I know it's going to be something and it's going to be to support um, this population. So the dreaming and building stage is where you are right now, that? Yes. Awesome. Um, definitely in the dreaming, definitely in the building. Have no idea yet, but something's coming. That's great. Well, you let me know when it's time for us to do a second episode and talk about that work, okay? That'd be great. Yes, All right. of course. So what are some things now that you, so you've done the move from practitioner to faculty. What are some things that have surprised you about being a faculty member? Honestly, um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, when I was at Florida State, I was teaching and I was either teaching undergraduate students or I was a teaching assistant. And now being a faculty member, I think 
as a doc student, teaching was a very serious process. Mm -hmm. um, but it was because you were given a syllabus and you were told that these are the things that you needed to cover. And you needed to make sure that students were learning these things. And I'm grateful for that training because I think that training taught me how to do this process and do it well. I think what has shifted or the things that have surprised me now is even with that training, I still don't know if I have all the answers every day. And then being okay, not having all the answers every day. Um, being that, you know, I, I don't know if we say this enough, but a faculty member is a guide, is a support and a facilitator of learning, not an expert of learning. And it has been so cool to be in spaces where students ask questions and I can look and say, I have no idea. Somebody pull out a phone, let's go to Google, let's figure out what we can deduce or figure out in the next 10 minutes. And so I'll start a timer and we just go and we figure out new questions and new problems. And that uh, is something that has surprised me, but has been so cool to kind of watch in process or in, in practice. Because if you don't know the answer and they don't know the answer, that research part that happens with master students and doc students, there's an energy there of trying to figure it out and how to answer it. And the learning with students, I think I was doing this before, but I think it's different now because there's something to be said about not knowing, them not knowing, and a collective reason or understanding around what this topic or thing actually means. And I I love that because it's it's almost like probably the same piece that energizes me about writing with students. It's the light bulb moments that they have that I really, really love about this work. And I think that's the part that surprised me. I knew that I was going to enjoy teaching. I knew that I would be able to do it, but it's the uncertainty that I love. Mm. Almost like the chaos that we create in trying to figure out how to answer a problem or to find a solution. Mm -hmm. Well, and I love how you talk about we, right? Because with most students going on to do student affairs work or higher ed adjacent work, you know, whatever it is, there are so few problems that we face on our own. We're parts of teams. And so I don't know, you don't know. So let's figure it out together. What great practice for the ways that ideally they're engaging in the work as professionals as well. So, um, all right. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, you know what, I want to do what Jesse does what advice would you give them? So whether that's a practitioner, maybe it's a master's student who's thinking, I want to do a PhD, I want to do doctoral work and down the road become a faculty member, what advice would you give? Or was there really good advice that someone gave you that you're like, wow, I'm glad I had a heads up on that before I was sort of in the process? I think I can answer the first question now. Okay. All right. <laughs> with, that, with that context. Um, everyone has something to teach you. I think we often don't realize that. Um, I learned something from almost everyone I see or I meet. Um, there's a quote that talks about this. You know, it's everyone is my teacher. There's some people you attract, some people you see. You spend a lot of time meeting people but the idea is that there's something to be learned from everyone. 
And I think as long as you enter interactions with that concept, then entering this space, you'll be just fine. Um, I think the other piece of it is there's a lot of memes right now about you get a bachelor's degree, you know something, a master's degree, you know something well, and then a PhD, you know how to answer a question. I, I think that's so true um, because I think there's something to be said about continuous learning and growing. And I think in this space, whether you want to enter a doc program or be a faculty member, or if you're just thinking about either, learning has to stay at the forefront of how you do this work. Mm -hmm. um, there are folks that do it in isolation and I don't understand how. I have tried to figure out how those that aren't connected with folks do this work well. And I'm not saying that you can't, but I think if I were to give you any advice, always be open to learning from anyone that you meet. Mm -hmm. um, the most simple interactions can teach you so much. Yeah, I love that. Um, always learner, hopefully always teacher. Always. Uh, I, that's great. Well, okay, so now for what is probably the most important question, what have I not asked you that I should have and or anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up? Hmm. Um, what I would like to share, and I think it kind of bounces on the last question, is I think wedded throughout our conversation, and I, as I'm reflecting, going back to that idea of self-reflection, is you have to find your people. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean those people will come in the form that they came for me. What a person I did not mention in this conversation is my grandmother. My grandmother is my people. Um, when I think about my first teacher or one of the folks that has poured so much into me, it would have to be her um, who does not have a high school diploma, but has taught me so much about life. I think about watching my mother and the way that she was able to to raise me and my younger brother and my older brother and in a lot of ways by herself. And so when you talk about the lessons that are learned and the ways that folks engage you, teach you and invest in you, it doesn't have to be academics. It can also be family members. It can be guardians. It can be friends. It can be mentors. It can be a host of people that really just anchor who you are um, and at the forefront, remain humble. Um, there are a lot of accolades in academia, and, I, and I, I like that for the folks that are interested in those. But the work doesn't revolve around the accolades. There's so much good work that happens that no one even knows is happening. And there's a beauty in that, because when that work is done, you can pat yourself on the back and say, job well done. Um, or if you're making a student stay, you see that joy. And that in itself is probably worth more to me than any trophy, award, nomination, anything. And I think there's something to be said about that. So to anchor that really quickly, mentors, supervisors, all those lessons come outside the academy just as well as in it. So family support systems. And then know why you're doing the work. If you're doing it for student success involvement, do it for student success, their engagement, their collective growth. If you're doing it for accolades, do it for accolades, but at least know your why, I think is what I'm trying to say. Um, and the rest of it will just come. I love that. And it's totally in line with your everyone as a teacher, right? So that's great. Well, I do have one last question for you. 
And it is, as you think about, and this can be work-related, it can be life-related, what is something right now that's giving you hope? I feel like this is my answer for everything. <laughs> um, I think the thing that's giving me hope is, is our graduates, not just my program, but graduates in general. Um, because there is an energy and excitement for those that are going into the field right now. And it is good energy. They are excited about the impact that they are going to make. And that gives me hope. I think there is a lot, there's a lot happening um, in this country, as well as internationally, um, in broader world context that may not feel as if we, we can have hope. But then you, you meet these young people um, that are energetic, they're excited, they are ready to go and take on this first role in this position and do it well. That gives me hope because I think in today's society, we we need a little extra hope. Mm -hmm. And so not to put that on them to give me hope, because um, I understand that if, even in saying that, that may be a level of pressure. Um, but just knowing that I feel like our field is in good hands. Mm -hmm. um, makes all the difference. Yeah. Well, and especially we're in the season, right? This May, June time when mm. the new energy is going out into the world and in lots of different ways. So that's great. Well, Jesse, thank you again. Um, I appreciate your time. I know everybody has more things to do than they have time to do them. And so the fact that you were willing to give some time today, it really means a lot. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So today's Essay Today podcast is brought to you by SAXA. We thank them for their support. Make sure you plan to join SAXA in Atlanta November 4th through 6th for the conference. Check out the website for more information on how to become involved. As we close, I'd like to leave you with a quote. Enter to learn, depart to serve. From Mary McLeod Bethune. My name is Michelle Botcher, and it has been a pleasure to host this episode. Have a beautiful day.